1: 1701 Central African Time, good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. This is Channel Africa from an African Perspective, broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. You can find us on www.channelafrica.co.za My name is Samora Mangesi and I'm in studio with Onilence Sinsi as well as Tracy Boomgaard. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Zimbabwean teachers are on strike over salary increases. A group of 12 personalities in the DRC campaigning for electoral reforms recommended a population census before the 2023 elections. And former South African President Jacob Zuma's lawyers want Deputy Justice Raymond Zondor to recuse himself. But first, let's cross on over to the news desk here on Alin with your latest bulletin.
2: SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African From a perspective. perspective.
3: Thank you Samora. Zimbabwe has accused the opposition of conniving with an unnamed world superpower to smuggle arms in an alleged bid to topple President Emerson Mnangagwa's government. State Security Minister Owen Mwabe told journalists in the Capital Harare on Monday that they were watching attempts to drive Zimbabwe into chaos. The claims by the government follow a recent crackdown against dissent in the wake of widespread protests against corruption and the deteriorating economic situation. President Nangagwa's ruling a PF party accused The United States of sponsoring opposition groups in Zimbabwe to format chaos. The party last month threatened to expel US ambassador to Zimbabwe, Brian Nichols. The Human Rights Council has adopted the universal periodic review outcomes of Lesotho, Kenya and Armenia. Permanent representatives of Lesotho to the United Nations Office in Geneva, Refilwe Lichabo, said the recommendations had allowed Lesotho to take a critical look at the promotion and protection of human rights in the country. Lichabo emphasized that certain recommendations had already been implemented, in particular the one aimed at combating trafficking in human beings, especially women and children. Speaking in the Universal Periodic Review of Lesotho were Gabon, India, Libya, Malawi, Marshall Islands, Mauritania, Namibia, Nepal, Nigeria, Philippines, Senegal, Sierra Leone, and South Africa. South Africa's Limpopo province MEC for health doctor Bobi Ramatuba says they will propose that international travelers who test positive for the coronavirus at the country's borders either self-isolate or be admitted to health facilities if they are sick. She was speaking at the Chlobus Bridge border post with Botswana where she was checking the readiness of the border post to reopen at midnight on Wednesday.
2: Smuggling of cigarettes is a serious challenge in the Limpopo, more especially because our borders are, are porous on the other side. The government has tried and put up a, a fence, but unfortunately, because of um, that fence, it doesn't have some sensors, it doesn't have some electricity, then people just run over it, and as a result, we have got a lot of... Uh, smuggling of cigarette cases that are but we are we are we are achieving a lot of successes in that environment there if you go to messina there at the at the, the warehouse, SARS warehouse the warehouse is full to capacity to show that soldiers are doing their part
3: the world health organization has called the one million deaths worldwide from COVID 19 a very sad milestone the global coronavirus death toll has risen past a million. A spokesperson for the WHO, Margaret Harris, says many victims suffered a difficult and lonely death and their families were unable to say goodbye. It took just three months for COVID 19 deaths to double from half a million and, accelerate rate, and accelerated to fatalities f- since the first death was recorded in China in early January. According to calculations, Spy Reuters, based on September averages, More than 5,400 people are dying around the world every 24 hours. That equates to about 226 people an hour or one person every 16 seconds. Zimbabwe plans to send brain tissue samples from dead elephants to the United States to test for toxic microorganisms blamed for hundreds of elephant deaths in neighboring Botswana. 34 elephants have died in western Zimbabwe since August 24. Botswana blamed toxins produced by cyanobacteria for the deaths of 330 elephants this year. Scientists say the toxins are occurring more frequently as climate change drives up global temperatures. Post-mortems and some of the Zimbabwean elephants showed that they had inflammated livers and lungs. Sports news up next with Mosebuddin Makura.
0: Thank you, Onela. sports fans. South Africa's coastal city of Durban will host the 2023 World Table Tennis Championships for the first time after it beat German city Düsseldorf in the race. Now, Durban had been awarded the hosting rights for the championships after comfortably seeing off a rival bid from Düsseldorf at the International Table Tennis Federation's virtual annual general meeting. Now, the 2023 World Table Tennis Championships will also be the first to take place in Africa since Cairo played host back in 1939, the Durban's International Conference Centre has been selected as the proposed venue to host the tournament. On to Tennis News, South Africa's top wheelchair tennis player Khotazo Mounjane is preparing for her return to competition after a seven-month layoff at the French Open. The wheelchair tennis event gets underway on the 7th of October and concludes on the 10th of October in Paris. Munjane will join fellow South Africans Lloyd Harris, Kevin Anderson and Revin Clarsen in the tournament. And those are your sports news at the Sawa. Onle. is back to you.
3: Channel African News, I'm Onilin
0: SABC
2: News. Independent and impartial. From an African, From an
4: African perspective. perspective.
1: Zimbabwean teachers have snubbed the schools opening six months after they closed in owing to the COVID-19 pandemic that has since killed thousands of people in the region. Government announced that schools should open this week for classes, writing final examinations this year, but just a few teachers reported for work. Teachers unions have expressed concern that the government has failed to provide protective clothing and refused to pay teachers better salaries, putting the lives of teachers at risk. More from our correspondent, Simon Muchemwa, reporting from Harare, Zimbabwe.
5: Zimbabwean public schools have opened doors to the classes writing their final examinations this year although teachers are nowhere to be found. Teachers unions have indicated their members are disgruntled and the government has refused to improve salaries and working conditions thereby endangering them if they work during this COVID-19 era. Nearly 8,000 people have been infected including 200 deaths in a country with little or no health delivery service, hence this fear by the teachers. Although it's a government requirement for schools to open doors only if they have set up mass temperature checkings, hand sanitizing and surface cleaning, most schools lack all that. Obed Masaraure, Secretary General of the Amalgamated Rural Teachers Unions of Zimbabwe, expressed dismay.
2: Teachers of Zimbabwe are severely incapacitated. They don't have any means to be able to to get to their workplaces and they don't have means to sustain their own families. They don't have means to send their own children to school. So they failed to attend uh, for duty because of severe incapacitation. Secondly, there's also the issue of teachers fearing for their lives since government has failed to institute safety measures to ensure that our teachers and learners will be safe uh, if they are going to be going back to school school we urge government to urgently address the salary crisis and secondly address the safety concerns being raised by our teachers so that normalcy can be restored in our schools
5: civil servants whose majority are teachers have been fighting for better salaries from the time president emerson nangagwa assumed office in 2017 the value of the local currents deteriorated by 900 percent margin Whereas salaries were pegged in U.S. dollar before they started receiving the same amounts but in the local currency, Masaraore did not have kind words for the government
2: are going to remain put at their homes until government plays ball until government decides to genuinely engage to resolve the suing salary crisis uh, but on the 5th October which is the World uh, Teachers Day we will be taking to the streets across the cadre demanding a living wage from our employer we have begun preparations and we are glad that across all provinces the teachers are ready to be marching demanding a bit, uh, better wages uh, on the 5th October which uh, when we commemorate the World Teachers Day.
5: Channel Africa spoke to Raymond Majongwe, Secretary General of the Progressive Teachers Union of Zimbabwe, who had this to say.
6: Schools are not reopened because
5: government has not responded to our demands. We
6: know government is going to victimize teachers, but we are simply saying they cannot do that. We can't come from Mugabe, who was victimizing us every day, and we come to a new republic that victimizes teachers as well. We are not being anti government. We are simply saying. Address the problems that teachers have And we are not asking for too much We are just saying give us a living wage And by living wage we are not putting a figure We are saying we want a living wage Take us back to where we were in October 2018 When we were earning 550 If government really is positive and is serious They can start moving on that particular road As we speak We are not charity workers We are not beggars when we are told that the president is giving us a good will, because of the good luck of the president, he has decided to give us 75 dollars. That has no name. Is it a dog? Is it a cat? Is it a Hina? Is it a Popo Thomas? It's just 75, dollars, true. How do you use it? Every day has its own figure. So if you give him 75, and you give him 75, and you give him 75, and these 75s are all different. How do you claim? It's not pensionable to start off with. When he retires, that thing will never end onto his pension. We are not charity workers. We are
5: workers who attend to do this job. Government must respond to our demands. Government pledged to assist schools with money to kick start the school's opening, but to date nothing has been disbursed, much to the disappointment of school authorities. Things are so bad such that a school in the rural Zimbabwe had to sell roofing material to get money to buy COVID-19 protective material. While in other countries, schools have reopened and immediately closed following a spike in COVID-19. In Zimbabwe, it is yet to be known the actual effect of COVID-19 after schools opening. Teachers are fearing for the West, hence their refusal to return to schools. In Arare, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchema.
1: In the Democratic Republic of Congo, a group of 12 personalities campaigning for electoral reforms have recommended the country's population census before the 2023 elections can be held. But the opposition has rejected such recommendation as it fears thousands of foreigners occupying different territories of the DRC might use the opportunity and get listed as well as Congolese. Jean-Nolba reports from Kinshasa.
7: Most of the group members are MPs, but among the 12 are also civil society actors and some of the famous personalities here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It has been a while since the group started to campaign for electoral reforms here, towering the whole country to try and meet with different influential people. During their campaign, the 12 have been discussing with their interlocutors about several changes that are needed for the upcoming elections to be more transparent, and to avoid different disputes and violence the country has recorded following previous elections. Among the different matters emphasized as needing reforms are the electoral law, the independent national electoral commission's composition, and more other issues to be made ahead of elections expected in 2023. The group has noted that political actors, the government, the ruling coalition, and the civil society remain divided And this needs a consensus on everything, otherwise, the country won't be able to avoid the chaos. It's only after meeting with several influential personalities that the 12 member group has decided to release its conclusions in what it describes as a roadmap for transparent elections here in the Democratic Republic of Congo, as it believes all the differences have been addressed. And according to the roadmap, the DRC will hold. The both presidential and parliamentary elections on December 24, 2023, but before that, the country has to take a census of all its population. The most important challenge for the whole process is time. That's indeed what Deli Sesanga, an MP and a spokesperson of the group, explained here. Look. The first challenge to be managed is time. Time must lead us for the whole process. We have to address different issues on time. We have to get money since elections rely on finances and logistics. Everybody has to agree on time about the composition of the electoral commission and we need to register voters. The current population of the Democratic Republic of Congo is not really known. The figures that are used are just an estimate as the country took the last census of its population 36 years ago. This was done under former President Joseph Desiré Mobutu just a few days before the 1984 presidential election in which he was the only candidate. At that time, the Zairian administration realized that the country had 30 million people. And up to now, nobody knows the true number of Congolese. Also, this is a very important factor as far as elections are concerned, that's indeed what the 12-member group has emphasized. But the opposition doesn't take it that way and has just rejected the census recommendation, expressing its fear of seeing the thousands of foreigners occupying this country's different territories use the opportunity. According to Devos Kitoko, a Lamuka Coalition senior executive, there are so many foreigners here, especially in the eastern side, and they might take chances to get listed as Congolese. We We do not agree with taking a census today. Vwandis, Burundians and Ugandans have occupied entire territories in North Kivu, South Kivu and Ituri. They have succeeded to chase the natives in order to take our country. So you'll take census in those territories to list whom? Foreigners. And indeed, the DRC constitution doesn't allow dual citizenship, but some of the people, especially in the east, have always been keeping the Congolese nationality and the neighboring countries one. noel for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African
8: cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy.
9: And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change.
1: I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers
10: who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello Africa, welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. From an African perspective.
9: Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story.
6: What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment,
1: Central African time. This is still Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi. Now, Johnson & Johnson announced the initiation of a global phrase three clinical trial ensemble of uh, Janssen's COVID-19 vaccine candidate with South Africa listed as one of the countries set to participate. The initiation of the ensemble trial follows positive interim results from the company's clinical study, which demonstrated that the safety profile and immunogenicity um, uh, immunogenic gene- oh jeez the immunogenicity after a single vaccination was supportive of further development the trial will include those both with and without co- comorbidities uh, associated with an increased risk for progression to severe COVID-19 and will aim to enroll participants in Argentina Brazil Chile uh, Colombia Mexico Peru South Africa and the United States Medical Affairs Director at Janssen South Africa Ludovic de Gaudry uh, joins us on the line. Ludovic, thank you very much for joining us. Hello, Ludovic. Yes, it's me. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you very
12: much. Now,
1: could you please tell us what this initiation of a global phase uh, three, uh, global phase three, rather, clinical trial ensemble means for the Janssen's COVID-19 vaccine candidate?
12: Thank you very much, uh, Samara, for your questions, uh, and thank you very much for having me this afternoon. Uh, Johnson is working since uh, the beginning of the pandemic on a vaccine program, and we are now moving to what we call phase three, which means that it's testing on thousands of patients the safety and the efficacy of our vaccine candidates. The trial ensemble will include 60,000 patients from different ages, younger and older, comorbidities, Race, ethnicity, from eight countries. We are very proud that the trial will be conducted in South Africa. It shows the importance of the ability of the country to run such clinical trial, the level of the research in the country, and the good relationship Johnson has with the regulatory authorities here to make that possible.
1: And for it to get to this initiation phase, uh, there were two phases before please take us through these two phases
12: yes before testing on so many patients it's very important for us to follow protocols and rules to ensure the safety of the patient we treat we publish first what we call preclinical data on animals so we have tested on hamster and primates and we have shown that our candidate could work this means that we saw a production of neutralizing antibodies, so to protect the people from infections, and a near complete protection in the lungs, in monkeys when you inject the viruses. Then we have moved to first human in healthy volunteers. It has shown safety and also efficacy at the dose we treat them. And it was very important for us because it it has demonstrated that one dose of the vaccine could be enough it is what we are going to test in the, in the phase three clinical trial. And for transparency, all the results and the protocol of our trial has been made publicly available for all scientists all over the world on the Internet.
1: Now, the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine candidate is uh, leveraging the con- uh, company's ADVAC technology platform, which was also used to develop and manufacture Janssen's European Commission-approved Ebola vaccine and, construct- and constructed Zika, RSV, and HIV vaccine candidates. With this background, you're hopeful that this vaccine candidate can also be successful, right? Yes, for more than
12: 20 years, Janssen Jensen & Janssen
1: Hello, Ludovic. Unfortunately, it seems like we have lost Ludovic over there. We're going to try and get him back, so let's uh, take a very quick break and we'll be back right after this.
8: Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. (laughs) You know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realise just how important Africa is to the global economy.
9: And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going
10: to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am, with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11, as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time, 1000 African Voices, with me, C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African Perspective. the globe
9: every second there's always a breaking story
6: what we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people the government concurs with the views of the black economic empowerment council reports that it is now
11: necessary to make our policies on black economic empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netler to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles.
2: We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs.
7: I've tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have.
11: Channel Africa.
1: Now we were speaking to uh, Ludovic de Bacaudry about uh, how Johnson & Johnson announced the initiation of a global phase 3 clinical trial ensemble of Janssen's COVID-19 vaccine candidate. Uh, I just asked him about the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine candidate and it leveraging the company's ADVAC technology platform, which was also used to develop and manufacture Janssen's European Commission-approved Ebola vaccine and constructed Zika, RSV and HIV vaccine candidates. Now, Ludovic, with this background, you're hopeful that this vaccine candidate would also be successful, right? Hello, Ludovic. Unfortunately, it seems like we have lost him again. Uh, But right now though, let us uh, see if we can move on to something else. Let's uh, move on to the United States where President Donald Trump has labeled a bombshell uh, New York Times report that he paid little to no income tax in the last several years as fake news. The Times reported that President the president, who is in a tough race for re-election this November, paid just $750 in federal income taxes in both 2016 and 2017 and paid no income taxes in 10 of the last 15 years. Despite receiving more than $400 million in income related to his reality TV show, The Apprentice, in addition to other endorsement and licensing
13: deals. Sean Bryce Peace reports. The Times report late Sunday takes a deep dive into two decades of President Trump's tax information and finds that he didn't pay income taxes in 10 of the last 15 years and despite hundreds of millions in earnings. It's fake
14: news, it's totally fake news, made up, fake.
13: Furthermore, the Times report says his finances are under stress, beset by losses and hundreds of millions of dollars in debt that is coming due soon. That he reduced his tax bill with questionable measures, including a $72.9 million tax refund, which is the subject of an audit by the Internal Revenue Service, and that the President received more money from foreign sources and U.S. interest groups than previously known. They also report that despite declared losses, Trump managed to live a lavish lifestyle by taking tax deductions on personal expenses, including $70,000 on hairstyling for television.
14: We went through the same stories. You could have asked me the same questions four years ago. I had to litigate this and talk about it. Uh, totally fake news. No, actually I paid tax, but and you'll see that as soon as my tax returns. It, it's underwrought it. They've been underwater for a long time. The IRS does not treat me well. They treat me like the Tea Party, like they treated the Tea Party. They don't treat me well. They treat me very badly. Uh, You have people in the IRS, they treat me very, very badly.
13: It's a claim the president has made since before he was elected in 2016, despite former IRS officials saying there was nothing preventing the release of his tax returns, even if there was an audit underway.
14: They are under audit. And when they're not, I would be proud to show you, but that's just fake news. The New York Times tried it, the same thing. They want to create a little bit of a story, a little bit of, they're doing anything they can. Not only that's the least of it. I mean, the stories that I read are so fake. They're so phony.
13: New polling from ABC News and The Washington Post shows Democratic rival Joe Biden with a 10-point lead in a head-to-head matchup. with his campaign releasing an ad drawing comparisons between the president's income tax bill and everyday Americans, showing that a teacher, firefighter, or construction worker paid far more in income tax than the billionaire president.
14: Well, I paid a lot, and I paid a lot of state income taxes too. Uh, the New York state charges a lot, and I paid a lot of money in state. Uh, it'll all be revealed, it's gonna come out. But after the auditors, after the... I'm being, they, they're doing their assessment, we've been negotiating for a long time, things get settled, like in the IRS, but right now when you're under audit, you don't do it, you don't do that.
13: tax story landing just days before the first presidential debate Tuesday. I'm Shervin Bryce Beers in New York.
1: 1731 Central African time, here's on Elen with your latest news headlines.
2: S.A.B.C. News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective.
3: Mozambique has asked the European Union for support in the area of specialist training for the fight against terrorism and insurgency. Algerian lawyers are protesting in the capital against what they describe as lack of judicial justice and independence. And the World Health Organization has called the one million deaths worldwide from COVID-19 a very sad milestone. Channel Africa News, I am Elin Cinsi. <laughs>
2: SABC News, independent and impartial.
0: From an African
4: perspective.
1: Former South African President Jacob Zuma's lawyers have written to State Capture Inquiry Chairperson uh, Deputy Justice Raymond Zondo, asking him to rescue, uh, recuse himself, rather, due to his biased disposition towards their client. The letter further says until their application for Zondo's recusal is finally determined, Zuma would take no further part in the Commission of Inquiry and that Zondo was entitled to take any step he deemed lawful and appropriate. Zuma had initially applied for a review of former public protector Tulima Donsela's recommendation that a Commission of Inquiry investigate allegations of state capture. The application was not successful and a court ruled that Zuma, as then-president, should appoint the commission with the Chief Justice Uh, appointing a chairperson. Political analyst Theo Fenter says this is not surprising.
15: No, not at all. I think if you look at uh, President Zuma um, and his relationship with the courts, and in in several ways, he has become a master of some form of delay or extension, (laughs) or in some form or another, not getting to where he should be. And this time around, uh, it's a long, it's a long uh, letter to to the commission, almost four pages. But mm. in that, he makes several um, statements and accusations, uh, such as the bias of the judge and um, the fact that the commission is illegal, even though he appointed the commission. But uh, it's clear that he is now beginning with a process uh, to kind of circumvent. Yeah. Um, the commission by by forcing him legally to come to the commission in November.
3: Do you foresee the former president eventually giving um, an honest account of what happened at all, or should we expect a lot more
0: of these delay tactics, if you like?
15: No, I don't think you will give an honest account of, of what's happening. That's not his style. What he has done, what he has shown us so far is, firstly, that he's a victim. In other words, things mm-hmm.
12: happened to mm-hmm.
15: him. Certain people failed him. Certain people did things that he did not approve. That's the one kind of argument. The second kind of argument that he has used in the last um, time that he was there was memory. He can't remember. He just doesn't know. And the third argument is an argument that is also now being used by, um, by the people in the free state. And that is to to, to throw officials under the bus. And the officials are in a very, very difficult position because mm. they must execute political decisions. Now, um, people are very brave nowadays when they when they talk about these things. But if you sit in the office of a minister and the minister asks you to do A, B, and C, I don't think one more than one out of 10 people would have the guts saying, no, minister, that's illegal, I can't do that. So sure. I just don't see that. Um, so so if you're not and that's my difficulty with the Zonder Commission vis a vis several of the things they're doing. They've got a lot of lawyers and they've got a lot of very, very brilliant people doing the work for the judge. But sometimes simple things that happen in government day in and day out. Obviously to us working a lot with government and politics, we can see but this is normal government business which I Mm. sometimes I think they want to legalize the problem, and then they miss the whole thing uh, about what actually happened. There's a power relationship between an official and and his political overseer, like we've seen now in the free state with the housing issue. Mm -hmm. Um, The minister then, or the MEC, was Zwane. Zwane said, I've got a plan. You must make the plan. I will make sure that you execute the plan, and then the plan gets executed. Now the officials are all running around in circles trying to explain sure. who proved it. Who said yes, who said no. Zuma's playing exactly the same game.
3: My goodness, the uh, very bleak picture that you're painting, you know, um, and all in all, what kind of picture does this paint in terms of accountability in the country, which is something that um, you'll agree with me is a big struggle, especially um, within government. We're seeing um, a lot of uh, corruption coming to the fore, but no real accountability that's happening. And I mean, with the letter of this nature and the delays that we're seeing, what sort of picture does it paint in, in its entirety around accountability in the country?
15: not a good picture and there are two words that is part of that lack of accountability the one word is called the collective in other words Mm. if they take a decision they're all into it so nobody is really individually guilty either the whole cabinet or nobody and the Mm. second word that is very crucial in this whole debate about um who is responsible is the word deployment I did it because I was sent there by the ruling party to do a job. So if I, did, if I made a mistake, then the political party is collectively responsible because they placed me there. So sure. uh, this thing played off in South Africa over the last two weeks when the minister of defense took uh, party political guys to Zim on a military plane. And the president gave her... A very, very harsh retribution by taking away three months' salary. It's a huge amount of money. Now, under any other conditions, and I would say in about 70% of all other democracies, a minister that got hit that hard would have resigned. Would have yeah, said, okay, yeah. I can see the message. Um, the president is not happy with what I've done. But not here. She stays on. Um, and there's not even. That's why, uh, even when when the ANC tried a month ago with the famous letter of President uh, Ramaphosa, uh, asking people to just step aside, now that step aside is based on on the fact that if you're accused or there's a case in court or whatever, you must step aside until it's over. And if you if you're uh, innocent, you can come back. If you're guilty, of course you're out. Right. But Mm -hmm. in the cases of at least two people, uh, Supramayama Pelu, North West ex-Premier, Ace Magashule, ex-Premier Free State, a lot of things point to them on several issues, but they haven't been formally accused of anything um, by the police or by the hawks. So stepping aside is not part of the reference. Um, So uh, the... The, the current leadership in the ANC is trying very hard to get a form of accountability going. I must acknowledge that they're trying, but I think the pushback is uh, is very severe, and it is important. South Africa, where we are economically and where we are post-COVID, we need a lot of support from outside South Africa, from the World Bank, from the IMF, yeah, things like
5: yeah. that,
15: and. One of the things that they're watching very keen is our anti-corruption measures and are we doing something to get accountability going?
1: And that was Theo Fenter, political and policy specialist and lecturer at the Northwest University Business School and he was on the line to Zikona Miso. Moving on to Kenya, where President Uhuru Kenyatta has extended the dusk-to-dawn curfew by 60 days and lifted a ban on sale of alcohol in bars. However, Kenyatta did not order reopening of schools until proper safety precautions are taken to prevent and control the spread of the pandemic that has up to today, being Tuesday, killed 700 people. James Shimanula reports.
9: In his speech to Kenyans late yesterday, Monday, President Uhuru Kenyatta announced that the country is flattening COVID-19 curve, an indication that victory against the invisible disease is in sight. But Kenyatta extended the dusk-down curfew by 60 days. The curfew has been in place since March this year.
16: Nationwide curfew enforced throughout the territory of the Republic of Kenya is extended for a further 60 days. The nationwide dusk to dawn curfew will run from 11 o'clock at night to 4 o'clock.
9: Announcing the reopening of Bas Kenyatta said
16: closing time for all bars and restaurants and eateries shall be 10 p.m. every day with effect from the 29th of September 2020 and their operations shall be with strict adherence to the applicable guidelines and protocols issued by the Ministry of Health.
9: Regarding the expected reopening of schools, Kenyatta had this to say.
16: As we progressively de-escalate the containment measures and resume a sense of normalcy, on education our paramount consideration both as a government but also as parents is the safety and well-being of our children the lives of our children and their health is not a matter for debate learning institutions therefore should only be reopened when we have sufficiently guaranteed the safety of all our children and here i really would plead with kenya that does not focus ourselves on when schools will reopen but how shall these schools Open in a manner that protects our children.
9: President Kenyatta's speech to Kenyans followed a long discussion by a special panel in the capital Nairobi. Members of the panel highlighted both the hits and the misses in Kenya's national endeavor to flatten the COVID-19 infection curve. Dr. Evan Jenga of the Kenya Medical Practitioners and Dentists Association spoke about the Minister of Health quarantine that affected Kenyans in the last six months.
8: In centers, I can tell you it was like a novel. We worked almost 24 hours. Most of them were non health based, putting the teams together that took care of the medical aspect the psychosocial aspects, security. It took different people to, to come together. Our security forces, our medical personnel, our partners, private partners, Red Cross giving us psychologists. This pandemic affected all people, the families. When you took people to quarantine, the families were also affected. Businesses were affected. So all spheres years of our, our life was affected. So we all came together as Kenyans and responded positively. Let's not also lose that moving forward. We are still within COVID. As we move post-COVID, health services must continue. Facilities must improve.
9: Dr. Lois Sombadjo, head of Infectious Diseases in Kenya, briefly spoke about the importance of wearing masks.
0: We embrace the issues around wearing of masks. And we have to thank our government because they did listen to scientists and they did listen to doctors, which was very encouraging for us on the front line as well. Then we think about our population, what is it that's different with, um, let's say, the European population? And one is that we have a fairly young population, with our mean age being just about 20.
9: At the end of the conference, Kenya's Minister for Health, Mutahi Kagwe, disclosed that 16 medical doctors have died from COVID-19.
11: These are the people who are protecting us, and if we had epidemic amongst them, Then we were going to be left bare. What did we do? We first started by creating a special ward at uh, Kenyatta National Hospital, specifically assigned for healthcare workers only. So that even as the disease evolved, we were not going to have healthcare workers scrambling for bed capacity, scrambling for treatment amongst other people in other hospitals. So we created a special unit for for that purpose. We appreciated the fact that um, they were going way above the call of duty. If you look at the way we moved in terms of trying to get PPEs for them and spread them across the counties, we changed the law to allow for counties to be able to purchase PPEs at the height of this whole pandemic Mm. during March and April. Getting a PPE was a big, big problem. Even today, we are still considering what we can do for the healthcare workers, what we can do
9: for the medical fraternity as a whole. In another development, more than 800 doctors and nurses at Kenya's largest medical institution, Kenyatta Hospital, have staged a strike to demand increase of their salaries. I spoke to some doctors and nurses who asserted that the strike is justified and they will not resume work until their salaries are increased.
6: They need to be well remunerated, like other people. The strike in itself is justified. Do you think
9: that you are justified in striking and in supporting the doctors for better pay and uh, other benefits?
3: Yes, we are completely justified because doctors, we need to fight for our rights. The government has not been, according the doctors, the respect that they deserve. And not only just the doctors, but even the public health care system in general has been in shambles. And the government is not doing its part to make sure that their citizens are treated well.
9: Voices of Kenyan medical doctors and nurses who have staged a strike demanding increase of their salaries. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula.
1: Today is World Heart Day uh, with the whole month of September marked as heart month. Protect Our Next, a coalition of health organizations in South Africa supporting better tobacco control, is shining a spotlight on tobacco consumption as a key factor, or key risk factor rather, for cardiovascular disease and the tobacco control measures in the Southern African nation that could help prevent unnecessary CVD and other deaths. According to the Heart and Stroke Foundation South Africa, heart disease and strokes have been second highest, uh, the second highest mortality rate in South Africa after TB, HIV and AIDS. CVDs are responsible for one in five deaths, with over 82,000 lives lost annually. Project and Communications Manager at the National Council Against Smoking, Dr. Sharon Nyatsanza, tells us more. Our heart
17: is are the second biggest cause of death in South Africa, and the exposure to tobacco smoke remains one of the strongest risk factors for you know for the development of cardiovascular diseases. And this actually you know highlights the urgent need to turn the tide on the tobacco epidemic. So in other words, really, uh, when you use tobacco products, or when you are exposed to secondhand smoke, or even when you actually use uh, you know uh, products like hooker pipes, which you have tobacco, and even other products like. Know your e-cigarettes or your vape products or your heated t- tobacco products like your IQOS. You actually are increasing your risk for for heart diseases. So people actually are exposed for example, to say them, smoke actually has a 25% increased risk of developing these heart diseases. Now, as the National Council
8: Against Smoking, uh, you and other partners, um, you know, are, are trying to protect our, in the protect our next uh, calling for better tobacco control in South Africa. Do you think this will make any difference in reducing the rate at which citizens are impacted by CVDs? If
17: communities and if uh, if if households adopt healthier lifestyles, including stopping tobacco use, um, obviously we're also talking about physical activity, healthy eating, etc. But if they actually uh, you know reduce the use of tobacco, we would definitely see a reduced uh, burden on the healthcare system from uh, from CBDs and cardiovascular diseases. But when we actually reduce Uh, the use of tobacco, we reduce uh, CVDs, we reduce the burden of disease, and lives are actually saved. So when actually has stronger tobacco control policies, like we've been currently lobbying for, the tobacco bill to be finalized and passed into law, when that tobacco bill is actually passed, we will see a decrease in the smoking rate in South Africa and simultaneously a decrease in the disease burden and in cardiovascular disease and, and, and all the other non-communicable diseases because tobacco is actually a common denominator not only for the heart diseases but also for cancer, also for diabetes and also for chronic lung uh, you know, d- diseases. So when we actually have a stronger tobacco control law, which will actually make it easier for people to stop smoking make it also easier for us to protect non-smokers from 2nd secondhand smoke, we will definitely see a reduction uh, in these diseases in South Africa.
8: Now, do you think if communities demonise tobacco use, um, this will make a difference in a society
17: in reducing cases of addiction? would definitely uh, make a a positive impact on, you know, on the whole, um, you know, societal acceptance of tobacco use. Because what we still see is that many people who, who use tobacco products actually start doing so as teenagers, as young people, and they become addicted and some of them become lifestyle smokers. So if we can curb the initiation of tobacco use right at that point at the beginning uh, by you know reducing social acceptance of using these tobacco products if we stop glamorizing these tobacco products if we stop every avenue of advertising but tobacco industry we will definitely stop initiation and if we stop initiation we will have you know succeeded in turning the tide on the tobacco epidemic and obviously, we would have succeeded in providing a healthier South Africa and a better South Africa for
8: everyone. Now, just on something that people generally speak about with regards to, um, you know, the addiction to tobacco, Um, you know you find that uh, some people will say that uh, they've been smoking since they were teenagers and uh, you know in their 60s or 70s having to stop smoking then they get uh, sick speak to us about that that is this the case or is this all basically part of something that has been there and now the withdrawal from the tobacco
17: becomes a problem so definitely you know the problem with tobacco is not that people want to use it but it's because it's addictive nicotine is addictive but it is also a dangerous and harmful drug. So what happens is when people stop smoking, their body now has to get used all those years or all those months of, of not having They now have to get used to having no nicotine in their bodies. And then they now experience withdrawal symptoms. And these withdrawal symptoms are actually uh, you know, not comfortable.
1: And that was Dr. Sharon Nyatsanza, Project and Communications Manager at South Africa's National Council Against Smoking, on the line talking to Lulu Gabu. It's now time for your latest economics news. Here's Tracy boongod
4: Thank you. Statistics South Africa has reported that the expanded definition of the unemployment rate, which includes people who have stopped looking for work, increased by 2.3 percentage points to 42 percent in the second quarter compared to the first quarter of 2020. However, the official unemployment rate decreased to 23.3% in the second quarter from 30.1% in the first quarter of the year. Stats SA has indicated that the slowdown resulted from people not being able to go and look for work or be economically active during the lockdown. The data further indicates that the economy shared 2.2 million jobs in the second quarter of 2020. Labour analyst and founder of economist.co.za, Mike Schusler explains.
15: It's in the expanded unemployment because you, to be officially
9: unemployed, you have to look for a job. And because we were under lockdown, a lot of people didn't go out and look for a job. The economically active all dropped because people either didn't work or they didn't look for jobs. And you have to do either one of the two to be economically active.
4: South African Trade Union COSATU spokesperson Siswe Pamla, says although the unemployment numbers are depressing, they were expected and the worst is still to come.
15: Uh, the situation is still going to get worse. If, if you look at the numbers of searching moderate nine applications uh, 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 that are being submitted, uh, companies uh, expressing their intention to offer that Uh While we can get a very serious the present situation. And uh, if you look at the fact that 2.2 million people who were income earners uh, have just joined the unemployment line.
4: Senegal's President Macky Sall says he expects to achieve double-digit economic growth. An expansion of 13.7% has been predicted from 2023 as oil and gas exploration boosts activity. Sall was addressing an economic forum in Dakar He says, according to their projections, the economic recovery will allow them to return to a GDP growth of around 5.2% in 2021. The World Bank says about 80% of the subsidy the Nigerian government provides in the electricity sector benefits the wealthy. This was revealed in a program appraisal document on a proposed credit worth $750 million which it intends to extend to Nigeria under the Power Sector Recovery Programme. The programme is an attempt to revamp the country's power sector. The bank says Nigeria cannot continue funding electricity tariff shortfalls. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta is to head to France to sign a $1.7 billion loan for a road project. This will be the president's first trip post-COVID-19 pandemic. It's understood that Kenyatta will meet his French counterpart Emmanuel Macron in Paris, where they will sign and preside over the inking of several PPP agreements on water infrastructure and energy. The US dollars trading at 378.38 Nigerian Naira, 11.43 Botswana Pula, 107.60 Kenyan Shilling and 19.98 Zambian kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar is trading at 5.58 Brazilian hail, 78.71 Russian ruble, 73.65 Indian rupee, 6.81 Chinese yuan, and at 17.08 South African rand. The U.S. dollar also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and 85 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,885 and platinum at $880 per ounce. Brent crude oil is at $42.20 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard.
0: This is Africa
10: Digest.
1: And that wraps up this hour of Africa Digest. Be sure to join us again from 1900 hours Central African time for more news from an African perspective. Right now, though, taking us to the top of the hour is Jigizindo Taizongi. We'll see you later.